0: at yourself and work out what category of person you fit into even your sleep patterns for example Mm -hmm. can be helpful indicators of what kind of methodology you should use
1: okay guys welcome back to the Erica show we are going to be chatting with graham nichols a little bit later two grams lucky me um, it's fun chat, but first, as always, Graham. I broke the water Dunlop. How's it going? Good. How you doing? I still can't believe you're wearing shorts in November.
2: Why not? It's hey, if if these guys can run marathons in the in their shorts in the winter and stuff, like I can walk around in shorts. What's the, what's the, twelve degrees out? It's fine.
1: Is it twelve?
2: Yeah. We should say something about Graham Nichols, right? And what we're talking about—he's a—he's been training people to do OBEs, out of body experiences, for quite a while. He's developed uh, like a, a like a sound technique and stuff, and he's uh, he's been into the research about it, scientific research on OBEs, and it's pretty fascinating stuff. He's had so many himself. It's a great chat.
1: He's an OBEer. Yeah. OBEer. Yep. Not you though. It's not a Graham thing.
2: Nope. I don't know why you thought I had had one once, but.
1: I don't know. Haven't we all?
2: Maybe. Maybe subconsciously. Maybe we do it every night when
1: we dream. Maybe. No. I'll try. But you don't know. I'm going to try. Do you even know if you dream? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Like
2: lucidly or?
1: Period. You You remember them a lot? Yeah, totally. I had some crazy ones recently. I think there's herbs you can take to help. Help that along,
2: probably. And there's herbs you can take to hinder that as well. Apparently,
1: Darren. What do I care? (laughs) I'm not the one obsessed with lucid dreaming. (laughs) I should just get into it for a couple weeks, just see if I could pick it up. It'd be fun if I could just like go and dabble and do it a couple times, and then, you
2: know. Yeah, I get lots of listener feedback about lucid dreaming and people that have tried it and what has worked.
1: And and, really, yeah, we got a lot of emails today.
2: I got some emails, yeah. But I got a
1: couple of articles to talk about as well. Is it about millennials crying?
2: No, we're not gonna talk about any political mm-hmm. stuff. Well, no. this kind of gets into global banking and but you know, so that's kinda political. But
1: um If you want to hear our political mumbo jumbo, you can check us out when we go on Adam show. <laughs> we should go together next time. We could get you on a grant.
2: Sure if you want. Yeah. Right. I was ready for a grant today, but we decided not to talk about politics no, on this show. we're it's, done. It, we're it, done. I promised everyone right. that so, when
1: when I when was done, it was done. Okay. So, I mean, I did what I felt like was my part, and now it's over, and we're it's, done talking about politics. We will still, I've decided now that I've started, it's going to be hard to stop, so I'm just going to go on Adam's show once a month or once every six weeks and- And rant about and it. And rant about it. So,
2: it's it's pretty crazy right now to say oh it's
1: unbelievable it's it's <laughs> what, unbelievable what,
2: what crazy yeah, time? It reminds well, me I, you know
1: I have two toddlers, so I know what I know what these people are going through, you know, just last night when it was bedtime, my kids went fucking ballistic.
2: what people are going through what what are you talking about these people who are people these people okay. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, what, do tot- what do you mean your what do you mean your ballistic
1: with temper tantrums? Oh, really? And you're it's just almost a daily to- occurrence. Right, you know? right. There's at least once every couple of days there's one of them has a temper tantrum. Yeah. They don't like to hear no. Yeah. But they do hear no. I think that's important. Right. That they get disciplined. But not for
2: the sake of it of no, right? And control and all
1: that, right? I mean No, just cuz some things are crazy. No, yeah. you can't fucking throw your sister down the stairs or you can't use the knives or you can't <laughs> <No. laughs> Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully, you know, we take a turn back to that as they grow older. You know, I don't want them to get a medal if they don't, it's, it's good if to lose. lose. It's good to lose. When I lost, I didn't want to lose again. Next time I'll try harder. I got to practice losing socks. It's supposed to suck. It's not supposed to be fun to lose. And I you know, some people say it's not about losing, it's about playing the game. Well but bullshit. Playing the game's fun, but it's funner when you win. Yeah, but everybody can't be a winner. <laughs> no, that's not. But but to <coughs> me, if we're playing for fun, I'm not having as much fun. I got hammered in hockey the other night. We got we got chillacked. So if you're not playing keeping score, no, if you go and, and you're not keeping scores up, is fun to you? No. No. We knew we were it, What is wrong with you? I've got something in my throat. Yeah, I bet you do. <clears throat> Leftover Whether we were keeping night,
2: score or not, the other teams, you know, kicked their ass really good.
1: Yeah, you know, but even like a baseball game, if we're not keeping score, you know, I'll play probably because I like to play baseball, but I have way more fun when, you know, there's something on the line. When you win, Even if you're not playing for anything other than fucking pride, it's fun funner when, you know, you get up there and you're, you want to win. Right. It's the last at bat and you're down by one or it's tied or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you score a goal with a couple minutes left and you win the game. Like, you know? If you didn't keep score, you wouldn't even know about that. Exactly. You wouldn't know about those feelings of fucking yeah. passion. And instead, you display your passion in all sorts of crazy ways that are, are proper.
2: Hypocritical, too.
1: That, too. So what, a, uh, what are you doing for the long weekend? I had to fix my sink this morning unexpectedly. Yeah. It, I, I was, just walked by my sink, and I hear like... That's weird. And I'm like, what? And it must have just happened today, luckily. It didn't happen in the night it wasn't that wet down there. It took me a while to dry it out, but I just walked away. So I opened the cupboard, and my, one of my connections, I just... Hmm. So it wasn't, like, gushing out. It was like a pinhole just spraying out constantly. How long do you think it was doing it before you caught it? I think it just happened this morning. Sometime. Wow, that's pretty good that you caught it. Holy shit. Yeah. So I went and grabbed a new faucet and got all that set off anyway. Really? Yeah. You had to turn the water off and all that? And- yeah. That's why I was in a rush to get it done before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no water in the house. Right. And I live with three girls. Right. Water is a necessity. You live
2: with one girl and two kids?
1: That are girls. (laughs) Women use a lot of water, Mom.
2: Oh, yeah. A lot of toilet
1: paper. And drink a lot of water. Even drink a lot of water. It's crazy. Yeah. Maybe I should drink more. Yeah, probably. They drink a lot. Anywho, what do you got for me? Where should we go so this here.
2: Oh, he tries to sneak on it, you know? It it real oh. or a dream. What, 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 what does that
1: What is this? What is this? Lucid dreaming? I don't have do anything on lucid dreaming. You just said you had all sorts of stuff on no, lucid dreaming. No, I said normally I get all. Oh. I don't have anything ready for that. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm just, we were talking about it and a lot of people send them in. I don't have them all ready right here.
1: Well, you said it like you did. Oh, sorry.
2: Maybe I do if I just flip. I even some asked stuff if here. you. Uh, if I had emails. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't know you meant.
1: Huh. I know. I could see how you could have got that confused.
2: Oh, you know what? Actually, wow. this is kind of a trip report. Yeah, well, go and do this instead.
1: American
3: Trip Report
2: I wasn't prepared for this This is a bit of a long one But I I think it's kind of similar to uh, It's kind of got a thing About lucid dreaming as well in it (sighs) So uh, This is from Ashley Uh, Dear Darren and Graham Or Graham and Darren actually I've been meaning to write to you As once upon a time You saved my life I found your show last summer while looking for interviews with Randall Carlson, as so many of your other listeners have. I was in Hawaii working on a farm and feeling rather miserable about my situation, which seems impossible if you're a permaculture oasis with a paranormal ocean and mountain views and a personal waterfall next to your open air hut. Wow. But mindset is everything. I began to listen religiously as I worked, devouring about four interviews a day, and slowly, as I rejoiced in taking in the knowledge that I had been craving, I felt myself coming back to life from a serious depression. Thank you for being there there for me, unknowingly, and thank you for all your hard work, your amazing guest selection, your silly banter, and optimistically realistic attitude about the world we've inherited. Oh, my love, Ashley. Ashley. So, P.S., you haven't been getting many trip reports, so I thought you and your listeners might enjoy this one. It's long, but incredibly informative for people who may be interested in or just want to hear an in-depth experience with DMT. Actually, this is probably pretty appropriate for this episode with Graham Nichols. They say the third time is a charm. My first experience, I was 21 years old. DMT did not find me again for two years. Since then, I have listened to numerous accounts of friends and strangers, All reported their trip was indescribably life-altering, losing touch with their bodies completely, becoming the void, floating through space, without a body, with dual waves of darkness and love washing over the formless soul, or meeting otherworldly beings. I was ready. I was ready. I was waiting. In a double year of the nines, 27 and 2016, a new transformation was coming. The date of confirmation was even July 2nd, that's 7-2-2016. The liftoff was technically the third. So an out-of-state cousin had been promising the event for some time, and I was grateful to see him unexpectedly at a family reunion. He brought a beautiful angel full of synchronicities, Miss Elizabeth Ashley. I'm Ashley Elizabeth, who wore a necklace made of snake bones, and I a necklace of cat bones. She regaled me with her recent and first space, miss, space mission cat during bones? the day. I like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I should make a uh, cat bone necklace after I win my battle. Sure. Out of the remains. I'll make it out of teeth. Yeah.
2: And then all your cats will be scared to cuddle with you.
1: That's right. They're already scared now because I'm the enforcer. <laughs> these fucking things are eating off the table. Oh, they drive me nuts. I'm constantly chasing these cats around.
2: There's no point. You just lose. It's a losing battle. You just let them, have, let them have the way.
1: My new one is I, is I soak them down. Yeah, that sometimes they, like my old him. cat used just to just soak him. it up.
2: They'd, he'd just be like, all right, I'd just soak it up. He would sit on candles and he would soak up the water. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: crazy. Unbelievable. These fucking creatures. <laughs> Now I've lost my spot. My design.
2: Uh, Recent space mission. An exit of the body in the void with waves of fear and love. I knew my sitters for such a mission could not be more perfect. To prepare, I grounded myself to the earth near my cousin's garden, meditated silently. 108 breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. When I was disturbed in the 90s by a car pulling up, Asking if my cousin was inside, I had to laugh because life was full of interruptions. Finally ready, I returned to the group and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. I wanted to ask if they had been afraid but held back. I knew I had to go it alone and wipe the worry away myself. My cousin took me through the procedure. My heart raced. I inhaled. 1. The rainbow worms were back. 2. The world was an overpowering acid trip. 3. The tessellation began. Four geometric infinity enfolded the room. My cousin went to lay me down as I was about to hug him. Before I closed my eyes, I felt nauseous and thought, why would anyone do this? Then I was in a great space full of scintillating, tessellating geometric patterns. The creatures had triangular heads, but no discernible bodies. They seemed to blend with the surroundings. I was welcomed and suddenly had an overwhelming flash. I was here before, in a sense that was so profound I could not explain it. There confirmed my suspicion without words. Why would I come here if I already am here, I thought. Come closer. Look. They presented me with a glittering objects of various sizes, like toys, that perpetually changed, warping in on themselves. We are playing a game. We are making the worlds. We are making reality. I opened my eyes. I was still in the room. I could sense people around me. But the room still moved and shifted. I continued to open and close my eyes to test my ability to travel back and forth. Soon they said, you're going now. See you. See you. None of this was words. Everything was an instant feeling. There was no overwhelming emotion. All was jovial, lighthearted. Welcome back, my cousins. Are you here? The room continued to breathe for ten or so minutes. Finally, I said, I want to go again. They asked if I saw the room when my eyes were open, and I did. Did I remember breathing? Vaguely. They said I looked like I was sleeping or meditating. My breath was so deep and peaceful. I was grateful, especially after I heard some people look like they are having trouble breathing while they are gone. Strange anatomical side note, I had eaten a lot of dairy that day and was struggling with stomach gurgles and gas. I was very nervous about leaving and just releasing and relaxing and grossing people out, self-conscious body, bodily function society here, even in the presence of very dear ones. When I returned to my body, I felt completely balanced, no gas, no uncomfortability, nothing. Everything, every shred of fear and anxiety I had completely dissipated. The experience perplexed me, yet the strong déjà vu was reassuring. I had been there. I would be there again and again and again. I would never be there. <clears throat> no, I would never not be there we discussed levels, the level of the tunnel, the level of space, the void, geometric patterns, beings, no one there had been with the beings. I also felt I had not completely separated from my body because I was able to return at will. I still had will and could seemingly control part of the adventure. I wanted to move past the realms of colors. I wanted to go into the void and space. I wasn't sure if the beings were a distraction as I had heard before or whether I should be listening wholeheartedly. I decided I was going to experiment. Did I have enough conscious ability while, I, while in this other, other realm to move around on my own? Round two. I would bring more aware, awareness. One. Big. I did feel a mild sensation of vibrating as my cousin had shared that he once vibrated so hard he felt the room would fall apart before his body. The colors returned. Two. Vibration ceased. Intense breathing of inanimate objects began. At this point, I stopped hitting the pipe correctly, so I was only getting partial hits. Concentration can be difficult at this time. Three, four, and five. The room became a kaleidoscope of shimmering tubes and shapes. I laid back. I left my eyes open for a while, taking in this reality which is powerfully beautiful, yet nauseating. Like I was on a cosmic, multidimensional boat in an undulating sea of energy. I couldn't quite handle in my present state of consciousness. I closed my eyes. There they were again, stunningly attention-grabbing. This time, they're cat-like creatures. Some designed, yet more rounded, less sharp, more separate from the whole background. They were dancing. I gazed out into the holes in the patterns where darkness lurks. I willed myself to leave, to shoot out into the void. I'm about to take off. No, no, come here, look, come see. A similar presentation occurs at the last time. We are having fun, we are dancing, we are playing games. It is not so serious, we are all having a good time. A cat figure moves off from the rest and begins a spectacular display that inserts both paws into its solar plexus and slowly pulls itself open, revealing an infinite spinning vortex of colorful patterns and surreal beauty. I was powerless not to gaze into the abyss. You are going soon. Oh? Yes, see you. See you! I am back. I am giggling uncontrollably. Everything is so funny, so lighthearted, so silly. Welcome back. How are you? It was the same, but different. Okay, I'm almost done here. One, par- one more paragraph. As I processed the experience, I came to the realization that I'm—I was mildly disappointed. Did I really leave my body? I certainly went somewhere, but I could move back and forth at will. Nothing felt earth-shattering. I knew it all already. Maybe because I already see the world as a grand mystery, that we're sophomoric humans, know nothing, and I accept being open to infinite possibilities. Anything that can happen, can happen. Everything you can imagine is, and more. We are the gum on nothing's shoes, and we are swallowing entire universes every split second. The third time, scream that strange wisdom into the depths of my soul. I am all, I am nothing. I am here, I am everywhere. I am nowhere, I am nowhere. I wanted guidance, a message, something profound after all these years of research and build-up. Yet the message was so simple and I already knew to have fun in the Beloved's Divine Game. And I am almost certainly taking the game too seriously. I also began to see I had wanted to die. I wanted it to be painful and I wanted my ego to be shattered and shit out into a black hole. My whole concept of reality to be reworked, rewritten and revised. My life comparatively is very sweetly privileged. I wanted to feel the depths of humanity's sorrows. I tell my own grandmother that life isn't all sparkles and rainbows, and yet when I traveled to the strangest dimension we are able to reach, I was told this is a game. It's all fun. It's all one. Enjoy life. I felt with more questions than I started... I left with more questions than I started with. I do not feel it was the most profound moment of my life, but I probably couldn't pick one if I tried. Only a strong sense of urgency... To engage in further exploration of these mysterious dimensions.
1: It's all just a ride, man. I'm wearing my Bill Hick shirt right now.
2: All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah that was good. Thanks, Ashley.
1: Yeah, thanks that was a, a bunch. Great story,
2: well written. It was kind of there. Did that make you want to try
1: that, Darren? I mean, did it, did it mention? Did I just miss? Did she mention how many times ...tokes she had?
2: No, I think she, there was something in there about three, but I don't know if that was her third time or or um, three
1: tokes. Because I was told that you should, uh, um, you should what? Take try and get three in. Yeah. Take a toke. Take a toke. Take a toke. Yeah. Try, try and get three in before you black out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, kind of like a heroic dose, right,
1: instead of just... That's right. Yeah. But, yeah, a little inspiration, in case I ever decide to take the plunge. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your
2: trip report one of these days.
1: One day. I still have a couple in the bag.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Right on. So, that, uh, I didn't plan on a real long one there. How much time do we got? I do have a cool uh, WikiLeaks UFO quote and uh, a couple articles I wanted to talk about. Articles? Yes.
1: Articles of clothing?
2: No, articles of uh, global oligopolies.
1: Oligarchies? Oligopolies. Oligopolies? Yeah. Is that like Edna It's a. Uh... Okay, let's go with that. And
3: now, another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. <laughs>
2: I thought I'd I'd read this because it's it's super interesting. My mom and, and her friend Isis uh, Isis? I mean uh, <laughs>
1: Your mom's friends with friend Isis. <laughs>
2: Iris sent it
1: to me. That is not a good thing.
2: And this is from Bullions Bullion Bulls Canada. And it's called The Death of Competition, Oligopolies Unmasked. So they're talking about this research into um monopolies, but it's, it goes beyond that. Now it's calling, they're calling it oligopolies. So the source of this data uh, for this commentary is, a, is some groundbreaking research by a trio of Swiss researchers. The size of the research project alone is impressive. A database of 30 million, 37 million economic actors, both physical people and firms located in 191, 94 countries. So this research is truly global in scope. So, oh boy, this is crazy. So as they sh- sifted through their database of 37 million entries, they eventually located the needles in a haystack, what they call the largest connected component. So that's an LCC. And it effectively encompasses about three quarters of the global eco- economy. Presumably all the most prosperous slash affluent segments of our global economy. So within that LCC, we discover that There's only 737 top holders that accumulate 80% of the control. These 737 top holders are primarily all corporate shells, but also include a handful of individual oligarchs. Understand that these are by no means independent corporations. Rather, this is a heavily interlocked network of corporate fronts characterized by massive cross-ownership, i.e. they all own each other. Thus, when the researchers refer to the 737 corporate entities which effectively control roughly 80% of the global economy, what they are actually referring to is a handful of clusters within this collection of 737 fronts, the oligopolies. How small is a handful of oligopolies which has effective control of three quarters of the global economy? The researchers provide us with one horrifying extreme example. What they refer to as the core in detail, nearly four tenths of the control over the economic value of the transnational corporations in the world is held via a complicated web of ownership relations by a group of 147 transnational companies in the core that has almost full control over itself. The top holders of this core can be thought of as an economic super entity in the global network of corporations. Let me reiterate the stunning conclusion: a single economic superentity by itself controls roughly 40 percent of the global economy. When the researchers refer to a superentity which has almost full control over itself, they are discussing what they are discussing is no longer really an oligopoly at all, at all, but rather a monopoly. One monopoly already effectively controls 40 percent of the global economy, along with a handful of mega oligopolies which control another 40 percent chunk.
1: Perfect. Why would you want it anyway, other than that? We should see if we just roll it all into one. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's like
2: the, the, all the dystopian novels and stuff, right? I mean, sooner or later, it is going to be just maybe will be
1: Trump. Everything will be Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Trump socks. Trump underwear. Trump toaster.
2: Yeah. So the uh, the Trump, article goes Trump on. Trump salt
1: and vinegar potato chips. The article goes on. I'll just, that would I'll be just, terrible.
2: I'll just summarize the end of it here. Oligopolies by government. See, this is what's fucking really going on, right? This is how they were able to blood suck entire populations and economies. Why did our governments stop enforcing antitrust laws? They were well rewarded for doing so. As long as the oligopolies are allowed to exist, our governments will remain thoroughly corrupt servants of these oligopolies. So uh, at the end here it says, this one giant monopoly, oligopoly, with a chokehold of 40% of the global economy is more than three quarter, composed of financial holding companies. It is one big bank.
1: Sounds about right.
2: Such a shocking revelation is certainly worthy of much further discussion. Some of the implications of a global economy dominated by one big bank will be discussed in the sequel to this piece, the one bank. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. The other one is uh, is called Reveal, the capitalist network that runs the world. And that's from The New Scientist. So it's about this uh, visual uh, s- visual representation. I've got it on Instagram as well. And it's got um, all these points of data in a big globe. And it talks about the 1,318 transnational corporations that form the core of the economy. And it sounds like it's from the same analysis. And then it goes into how of that 147 they they list the top 50 of these super connected companies and it's like it's like the who's who of banking here right it's like Barclays Capital Group FMR AXA State Street JP Morgan Merrill Lynch Deutsche Bank Credit Suisse Bank of New York Goldman Sachs like Morgan Stanley <laughs> so basically they're at the top
1: of the yeah, whole thing they control right? the economy yeah them and insurance companies. Yeah, exactly. And drugs. Big
2: pharma. Yeah. Well, in the military industrial complex, which is probably fun at all. Oh, that's a, that's a segment I'm going to do coming up. Can't hardly
1: wait. On the top secret labs. <laughs> As he rolls his eyes. What, uh, Graham the researcher, put your researcher hat on and dive in. Not really, just, you know, just uh, just into
3: the surface.
1: Just a taste. Just a taste.
3: Down in Graham, going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of a week.
2: Hey, thinking of jingles. If there's any no agenda people out there that are doing jingles, send me a note, please. Send me an email. I have a an interesting artistic collaboration for one, an idea.
1: How can you not get
2: me involved? i I already tried, and you, you Which know, and even it? James uh-huh. too. I tried with you and James, and you, and you both just brush me off. I'm not going to say it on here, okay. somebody else going to
1: completely steal it. And I at least want some creative credit for it. Some creative credit that James and I. Both blew off. Exactly. (laughs) There you go, folks. (laughs) Email Graham for his uh, third shot at selling his jingle.
2: (laughs) People that are already making no agenda jingles will
1: totally understand.
2: They'll get it and they'll love it.
1: Oh, is that the no agenda one?
2: Yeah. Don't say it. I'm, I'm still gonna, pumped about it, and it's still more you applicable just than ever. Learn how
1: to make it yourself. It's still,
2: oh, it's, I just, I just figured out how to do a bunch of other things. And I'm just, I don't have enough time right now.
1: Well then, suck it up. So this
2: is the UFO quote of the week. Are You ready for this one, Darren? This is a good one. Is it? Yeah, this is from Tom DeLong. I've
1: heard that before, Tom DeLong. Dog.
2: Yeah. yeah, to uh, John Podesta. Interesting news is the subject. I thought I would give you a piece of cool news to brighten your stressful and long days. When I interviewed you, I put behind-the-scenes photos on the social networks. Ambiguous ones. Well, I just announced my project, and the pre-orders of the novels went up. And kids are mining the internet, asking me for info whatsoever that John Podesta says in the book. And then he puts a link in there to the Rolling Stone article. ha. They don't know yet where you exist in this secret machines universe. We launched the story with New York Times with Doc Trailer in a week. And they already look to you in a leadership role they can trust and care almost only about your voice in this. That's hard to do. Getting young, young adults to like you, especially at your level in D.C., don't lose that. I will brand you much more when this all comes out as a man the youth can trust and rely on. Not that you care, but I do. They do. This project is about changing the cynical views of youth towards government. My fans are trolling the internet asking about you. And I haven't even mentioned you yet. That's cool. The young adults are so passionate about this topic, and at the end of the day, they feel like you respect them. So they are seeking you out. Best, Tom DeLong. So it to forwards this to, to Satan. Jay to J <laughs> to his whole spirit cooking audience <laughs> to, to J palmieri at hillaryclinton.com this would be probably to the to the uh private server in the bathroom and it says our secret plan
1: Bingo bango. Tom DeLong's secret plan?
2: I don't know. The, the John's secret plan. Oh. I, I, I I, sense that this whole, this is like part of the control mechanism of the UFO disclosure is, is he's he's just uh, he's a total shell. No, he's a total shell. He's controlling the whole thing. It's all part of, the, all these little dribs and drabs and getting the disclosure community out there is just like on purpose. Probably. they don't they don't even
1: take it seriously, he's probably just trying to catch wind if there isn't
2: yeah he's the, they're monitoring the whole fucking thing or something. then I don't know if they planned on this you know spirit cooking and all this say. Have you seen his the numbers on his hands, and have you seen the video on the numerology and like there's some pretty crazy shit on there
1: about him oh really yeah. i i'm I've uh, taken a break from the WikiLeaks. they're still pumping stuff no no, up this at, isn't Wikileaks I oh. don't this
2: is just youtube i will forward it to you. I haven't watched it yet myself, but
1: I got friends of mine live. In. YouTube feedback. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, I got some too. Yeah. Yeah. I got one here from, uh, what is it? Pit Car, Pitcairn King, Pitcairn Viking. Oh, Pitcairn Viking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here, south of Boston, I heard about a landlord with a first floor tenant complaining of a ceiling leak. Upon investigation, he found the second floor had a full on vegetable garden growing on the living room floor. And open the chicken cabinets to find the shit was converted into a working chicken coop. Darren could do that if he needs the space for his chickens. <laughs> That's not a bad idea.
2: In kitchen cabinets? You got to let them free run around though. You can't yeah, have I think coop I'm
1: gonna get what, what I want to do How is imagine having your chicken in the cabins? I want to give him a dog run. Yeah. Well, you don't you have one at the back already? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is the neighbor. I got to make it so the neighbor can't see him because he won't hear him. He just just tell the him. neighbor. Well, just say, that want
2: some eggs every week, I you give him a couple I eggs. I let him and... cut
1: a couple branches off my tree that were obstructing his view. As kind of, He came over and asked, and I was like, yeah, man, do it. Now I'm going to go over there in the spring and be like, hey, man, I want to have some chickens. <laughs> and I think he'll be cool with it. Yeah, As long as they don't make a racket, I'll just say, hey, if they're making a racket, come over, let me know. I'll kill the fuckers and eat them. Yeah. Done. Experiment over.
2: Yeah, well, you look them in the eyes as you kill them.
1: Yeah. Well, Make
2: sure there's no fear there.
1: I'm just going to strangle them. <laughs> what else do I got? Oh, we did a couple people touched in that they came from Media Monarchy. So welcome aboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but And,
2: and uh, yeah, there's, that's a good way to get a hold of us is through the YouTube uh, comments and stuff. Also through Instagram. I'm, I'm on the gram and uh, Darren's on the Twitter.
1: Are you just Thanks staying for... off of my Twitter now?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. And I don't even have notifications on my phone, so I don't even see the tweets come over uh, the phone. So I'm pretty much it's a good thing blind. your phone
1: would have been busy last night. Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> yeah. Um, here we go. I think that was the most I've ever had almost 200 notifications while I slept. None of them involved me, I was just caught up in a crazy conversation, yeah. Actually, it was almost like social warfare, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I got another one here on the Anthony Peak interview. My mind was blown several times over by this interview. Partway through the video, I found myself wondering about the brains of schizophrenics. Is there a reality filtering system different from that of a normal, normal quotations person? Are they perceiving things that we usually filter out? If so, then that puts schizophrenics in a whole new light. They're not really crazy. They're actually seeing and experiencing more than most of us do. I've had a lot of waking dreams hypnagogic or hypnogompic, hypnopompic? I don't even know what either of those fuck. uh Hypnagogic is like that's when you're half, sleep. Uh, half awake. That's I think that's when you're
2: falling asleep, and the other one is when you're waking, waking up. up.
1: Yeah. Hyp, hypnopompic yeah, is when, when you're, you're waking up. I think so, yeah. Awaking life. That seemed every bit as real in detail as my daily reality, and I've always had the feeling... That the people in these waking dreams were actually sentient beings or incarnated consciousness, not hallucinations. Maybe it's similar to what schizophrenics experience all the time. Or what people on DMT, Mushrooms, Ayahuasca, Ayahuasca, et etc. experience. Nothing new in what I'm saying, I know, just thinking out loud. Well, thanks for thinking out loud, secret treasure path.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Did you read my response? No.
1: I'm not reading your response. So.
2: Thanks, team
1: player. Well, you, what, you want to read your response? No, it's okay. You, you, want to read what you wrote on the show? No, it's okay. Okay. That's it. I got some good feedback on the jingles. Right on. That's it. Yeah, you got anything else? got time well, for maybe one more. I got a couple. I, I mean, we I got a, actually. Fucking uh, ask for some money first.
2: <clears throat> yeah well, there isn't any advertisements to do or anything Our only advertisement is us begging for cash. you know someone other, made a comment the other day
1: about they'd rather have a ad than sponsored content, but I don't know what they meant by sponsored content. I wonder if that's what they think like when we talk about stuff. No, we I don't like, think
2: they're talking about ours. that's not oh. sponsored content. I think they're talking about a real ad compared to the Joe Rogan style of just Oh, like,
1: were we talking about that before? oh. I think I talked about just having a recording of me asking. Oh, yeah, but we said no. And we said, no, it's better, just do it. So anyway, send us here, send us some support. We don't do ads, we don't do commercials, we do all this for free. We're almost at 200, we're only four episodes away from 200. Yeah. So it's like 400 hours. That's like 80 days? No. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if you find value in the show, then it would help. Pay our bills for sure. We oh, way, we so have
1: that, way more bills than we planned on it. And I mean, more bills. And, Stuff breaks, cords break. It's always yeah. something. Always, it's always something. It,
3: yeah,
1: and uh, yeah. So help us out there. If you check out slash support there's a bunch of different options there. Anyway, from a dollar to thirty dollars a month, or the option to enter your own one-time donation amount. Um, yeah, you can always send like five some bucks the- a month. Is the most most popular. Like really, that's the best one. If you can give, it, if everyone gave us a buck a show, it'd be amazing. Yeah, if everyone, if everyone gave us 25 cents a show, yeah. that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, of course, if you can't support us monetarily, you can... Review the show on iTunes, for sure, that helps. I'm yeah. sure that our
2: guests look at that before they come on as well, right? You can You can send in, actually, guest recommendations. And a lot of times we already have them on the list, and that just sort of propels us towards uh, that guest. And sometimes we don't have them on the list, and we, we listen to the re- listeners and we get them on.
1: Yeah, and then there's, of course, the, if you want some Grimerica swag, uh, head over to grimerica.ca slash swag. That's going to redirect you to our Redbubble store. Um, so we make a couple bucks off anything you grab there if you need some shirts or stickers or anything like that. Um, tell tell your friends about the show. That's, that's, that's really, if you don't have any money, that's the best way you can help us is review the show right now, and then... Tell some people or tweet it out or share it on Facebook or wherever you can.
2: Yeah, because we don't have any marketing plan. I mean, just, just, in just Instagram money. and Twitter and... Yeah, we don't have... It. Yeah, that's
1: and it. And we're just two dudes. Two dudes, yeah. Two dudes in a garage. And winter is coming. Yeah. I'm no surprised not here yet. You will not be wearing shorts to the studio in a month. I promise you that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, help, help support our value for value model. Uh, we took the vow of... Uh, Poverty of, a yeah, couple of, of years of no, ago.
2: Yeah, no portals and sponsorship. And uh, we're
1: going to stand by it, so yeah. Yeah, help us regret it less. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, all that stuff. So what else did you have? You had one more Well, thing? I, got,
2: I got a whole whack of uh, little mini synchros, and that doesn't even include ones from my sister and Mike that I'm waiting for. Waiting for? Yeah, waiting well, they've told me about them, but I don't want to just, li- I want to I get it in writing.
1: Yeah, because you'll just wreck it.
2: I'll just wreck it if I try and do it from see if memory. I can
1: finally, Graham is an all-in Oh no, come on, you don't have to slip down one every time. You know what? It's the one on the corner oh, there.
3: So... <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: I wonder how Gitmo is. And don't this is still my favorite jingle. Yeah, that's a pretty good one, eh? Email us, Uh-oh, buddy.
2: I just lost it.
1: Shoot us an email. Let us know you're okay.
2: Wow, I just lost it. Unbelievable. Lost
1: what? My Synchro? Uh,
2: yeah. The one I was going to do. I mean, I got lots here to choose from. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is from, uh, can I say a name? This is from Mary Beth. She says, hey, just guys. Don't say last names. You have a fan down here in Tampa, Florida. I like how you approach such heavy heavy topics with levity. It's easy for these types of podcasts to be a little dry and pretentious. I, for one, enjoy the pre-interview banter. And Darren, in terms of your political views, don't let the bastards wear you down. Stick to your proverbial and or literal guns. It's election day here in the States, and depending on who you ask, I've either wasted or thrown away my protest vote, and have somehow ensured a both a Clinton and a Trump presidency. I guess it's like Schrodinger's cat. My vote is for both until the ballots have been tallied.
1: Pretty much. Now on to the synchro. My synchro. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <clears throat> Though I do like the idea of if you're going to vote for a third party vote for Vermin Supreme. <laughs> I adopted that from Curry. No agenda. Yeah. I, have you Googled him? He's a no, pretty interesting cat.
2: No, but I remember hearing something about it and that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. If you're not sure. Google it. I think I've converted a uh, friend of the show, Bill Loeb. Two. Yeah. Voting for Vermin next year, next election cycle. You've
2: converted a couple of Americans, haven't you?
1: Yes, I have. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> been busy from the igloo? That's right. I figure I'm far You're enough from the border people. that they won't come here and kill me.
2: <laughs> now on to my synchro. It's nothing profound, but I think even the most mundane of them are worth considering. To me, synchros are like cosmic signposts. I was looking to buy a new car. As the one I had was getting up there in miles. It was a 98 Camry. That served me well over the past eight years, so I wanted to find a newer model. My dad had just recently retired from the car business, so this would have been the first car I bought on my own. To me, this was a daunting task. For a couple of weeks, I searched online for a Camry that had the same qualities without any luck. So I thought that not having my dad's connections was the difference, and I should look for something like a Corolla instead. When I changed the search criteria, an Avalon popped up in the results. Since Avalons are nicer than Camry's, I was puzzled as to how this fit my budget. I looked at it and it seemed too good to be true. Low miles, great condition, etc. Since similar Avalons were out of my price range, so I called my dad to see if he had any insight. He told me to check the car's history. He explained that if I scrolled down to the bottom, I could see when and from and, and whom the dealership acquired the vehicle. The dealership will auction the vehicle after 90 days where they'll get next to nothing for it. So they might have lowered the price. So while I'm, I had them on the phone, I pulled up the report at the top and it names the dealership that originally purchased, purchased the car from the factory. When I saw the name, I about fell out of my chair. It was the same dealership my dad worked at, which is located two hours North of me. And obviously where I got my last car. This is too much of a coincidence, seeing how the Avalon was sitting at a Subaru dealership in the next county over from me, even further away. I scrolled to the bottom and bingo, I see they had the car there for 80 days. So my dad called the dealership he retired from and had one of the ladies he knows pull up the original sale. He, in fact, originally sold this very car six years prior. This sealed the deal for me. I immediately drove over to buy it. After beating up the sales rep a little more over the price because I badly needed a new set of tires, he said that it had been in the car business for over 20 years and that was the easiest sale he's ever made. So I suppose in a roundabout way, my dad sold me this car too. That's it. Seeing how I just signed up for a subscription, I'll go ahead and rate this one a 3.33 if you catch my drift, Darren. Keep up the good work, guys. I'm looking forward to your future endeavors. Did you catch that whole thing? Yeah,
1: I caught it, yeah. I'll give it a... uh that's a good one. Uh, it's an 8.2.
2: Nice. That's yeah. a pretty good one.
1: Oh, 333 don't hurt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of something that would happen with my dad for some reason. He used to actually tell me synchronicities before I realized there were synchronicities. So I hope she's uh, having fun in her Avalon.
1: I've a long Yeah, it makes me think of the Roxy music song too. Does it, Roxy? You don't. You don't even yeah, know that song. I have song, no do you? idea no. what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> what else you got? We are running a bit long now. Yeah, that's probably good, eh? That's probably good.
2: Save some for next time. Actually, we should just do a show. I think we might do a bonus show just with listener. I just we'll just do listener stuff.
1: Yeah, when we get too much, we can. Yeah, I'll
2: just throw it out as a bonus episode and just chat about it and.
1: All right. All right guys, enjoy the chat with Graham.
2: America we've got Graham Nichols with us he's been training people how to have out-of-body experiences he's been researching it and exploring this topic for decades and it's uh, something that we've been talking about lots on the show lately and uh, it's really good to have a chat with Graham I've heard him way back when and it's funny after, uh, how did I, oh, you know what? It was Anthony Peake who mentioned you, Graham, and then I started looking mm-hmm. into you, and uh, I was like, oh, I've heard Graham years ago, probably on Skeptical, and I was like, yeah, we got to chat with him." Oh, you, yes. So, <laughs> so, yeah, really good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
0: Great to be here.
2: Yeah, it's a fascinating topic, especially when, when um, <clears throat> to me, it's an important part of this whole sort of consciousness research that, uh, like the guys at, uh, Alex at skeptical talks about, and we talk about a lot here. I think there's a, there's a lot of research with that and lucid dreaming and near death experience and that type of stuff that, uh, eventually is going to sort of crack things open here. So it's, uh, it's good to have you on to talk about your decades worth of research. And, um, maybe we can start with, uh, I don't know, maybe how you got into this, I guess, uh, into the out of body stuff.
0: Well, I, I guess that starts when I'm about 12 years old and I, well, actually it goes back even further to uh, when I was about five, I started having unusual experiences, not out of body experiences, but I had an, a very powerful apparition experience when I was about five, um, saw this large figure that was filling the whole of the, the doorway in the apartment block that I grew up in. And uh, it really terrified me as a child seeing this this figure, but it kind of opened me up to the possibilities that there might be more going on. And then when I was around 12, I had a few very fleeting out-of-body experiences that lasted only a few seconds, which is quite classic. A lot of people, their very early experiences don't last very long. Um, so I had those experiences. And then a little while after that, I came across the concept of out body experiences so I went out and I managed to find a book on the scientific research into out body experiences uh, by a parapsychologist called Janet Le- Lee Mitchell mm-hmm. and then I basically uh, spent the next six months trying to induce an experience intentionally and after six months had pretty much at the point I was giving up on doing it I had this experience where I was laying there and I felt this intense surge of energy go through my body. It was almost like being hit by lightning, but with no pain. Very positive experience, but very, very intense energy. And it threw me up into the air in the, in the experience. And I was looking down at, at my physical body um, and I floated there, not able to move very much, but I floated there for about two minutes, something like that. And then I came back to my body, and that was really the floodgates—the beginning of the whole journey for me.
2: Wow! So, just explain that out-of-body experience a little in detail, a little bit for people that really maybe haven't heard of it. I'm sure most people have, but is it the same as astral travel? Like, you're basically—how would you describe it in your words? Like, your energy, your soul is leaving your body. Um, you can go to other other places well, and then return.
0: Well, astral travel is is the esoteric term that's been around for a long time. I guess for a self induced out of body experience, I wouldn't. I'd say an out of body experience is just a description of what happens. You feel that you're outside your body, whether that's a soul, whether that's energy, whether that's some form of in extended consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's something that we have to answer through science, in right. my opinion. Right. Right. Um, when it when it comes to how we experience it how it feels to us it feels that we're leaving our body sometimes in a in an in some form of energy body but that's that's actually not as common as many people believe around 40% of people experience more of a something like a ball of energy or a point of awareness in space that the body is not always present and i think that's a lot to do with the person's sense of self and how much they've anchored themselves in this idea of being a physical body that seems to diminish over time as they have experiences more and that's been the experience with me over time uh, a sense of a body and things like that has diminished so but in that very first experience that I just described I was floating there it felt like there was a, a pole running from my head to my feet so I could only rotate side to side um, I did have a feeling of a body in that in that experience and it seemed to be glowing with a kind of bluish greenish light that was lighting the room so it could have also been moonlight to some degree it's hard to say definitively now but um, I remember the, the curtain was open a bit and there was light coming in as well so it could have been also from outside but the room was lit with this kind of bluish energy light and I looked down at myself I saw my physical body I looked it looked like me but it was like looking at a photograph in the same way you can look at a photograph and say that's me I can see it's me but you don't think that I don't know if you cut that photograph in half, you're going to kill yourself. You know, you know that there's a difference between the photograph and you. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit—it was a bit like that. I was looking at this this form laying underneath me, but it—it
2: it didn't. I didn't believe it to be me at, at a core level. So, is there? Are you saying that there's different levels? Then it seems like of out-of-body of experiences. Like some people like 40% of the people experience this ball of energy and then some people actually feel like they leave their body and travel travel around?
0: Well, you still feel like you leave your body and travel around, but what what I'm saying is I think that possibly a lot of the the decoration, if you like, a lot of the uh, details of, of how the experience might appear is probably self-generated. I think that some aspects of the experience are are purely objective and some elements are subjective. So I think like life, in every, you know, when you're walking down the street, um, our senses are seeing things, but also the brain is creating the ultimate image that we have of the world possibly. And then, you know, it filters things out. It, it adjusts things. So, you know, we often believe that we're seeing things purely as they are, but when you actually think about it with more, more depth, I guess you, you realize that that's too simplistic, that actually there's a more complex process going on. I think the outer body experience is no different than the, the sense of having a body, I think is often simply because we're used to having a body so I think as the, as the experience becomes more familiar to us, more known to us, then that sense of being anchored to the physical body or needing to identify with a particular form or having arms and legs and all that kind of thing tends to become less important. But other people simply go straight to having this experience of being a, non, a non-physical shaped uh, thing like a like a sphere or a or a point of awareness. So I think what that suggests is that maybe we're dealing with an extended consciousness rather than a kind of soul that's a bit like a Russian doll that pops out and goes off somewhere. I think that's a very simplistic, outdated idea of what's going on.
2: Oh, I see what you mean now. Okay, I get it. Well
1: like going into the holodeck. <laughs> Um, Possibly, but it almost seems like nowadays it almost seems like it's all just a that. So would that make that like because I I mean I I sometimes tend to lean towards it all kind of being a simulation, a, a simulation or a hologram already. So is that would that be make it like a hologram within a hologram, or where do you where do you? I guess you'd have to kind of have the same sort of ideas I would have about. Reality in general to kind of go down that hole.
0: Well, I, I just follow the data, I follow the science wherever it leads. So, if um, if I see good evidence that it's a hologram and the, or that it's a simulation, then that's the direction I'll go. At the moment, at the moment, I think the the science on out of body experiences is at such a basic level because it hasn't really been delved into in enough depth at this point that I think we can't really say one way or the other but what we can look at is the phenomenology of the experience whether people see in a particular way? I mean, I'm doing research at the moment into the visual perception within out-of-body experiences. Is it exactly the same as physical vision? It clearly isn't. When you look into the research, there are differences. Sometimes it it does look the same in terms of you know the colours, yeah. the depth of field, all of that kind of thing. But in other ta- at other times. My experiences, for example, have been more like I'm looking through a coloured filter. Uh, it might look bluish grey or it might look green and yellow or, you know, things like that. Mm. So what does that mean? Is that a clue to what might be going on? There's, there's lots of interesting avenues that have never been looked into, I think, with this area.
2: Wow. So, how much of your own experience do you are you able to bring into your scientific um, research? Like, because that must you've had you've had quite a few experiences yourself. Some people say more than more than anybody.
0: I don't know about more than anybody, but I've I've had them consistently since I was well, twelve years old, yeah. um, and I, I worked it out. It's that it must be more than a thousand. You know, getting up into the you know thousand plus sort of level. I worked out that if you averaged it at about three experiences a month, which at some points it's been much more than that, at other points it's been maybe less than that. But if you averaged it at about that, looking at my diaries, I've got diaries going back to 1990. So if you if you do the maths and uh, you know work out three three experiences per month over over that timescale it
2: comes out quite a lot <laughs> so are you are you that comfortable now when it happens that you're out there looking for like you're you're trying to actually look at things in a scientific way like you're like comparing you know your perception or comparing the environment and and your feelings like it must get to the point where you're you're thinking okay now next time i go in i'm going to look at this I I do I do
0: yeah I, I, I wouldn't say it's the primary focus when I have an experience because I tend to let the experiences unfold I do tend to think there's a certain guidance or a certain aspect within the experience that maybe is more of an unconscious aspect and I think often you get drawn to very interesting locations and scenarios and things like that um But having said that, once I get to those kinds of locations, if something very interesting is happening or if I think that this is a particularly clear experience and I might be able to verify something or I might be able to uh, detail the the visual side like I just mentioned, then after the experience I'll write that down immediately um, so that that's recorded. Um, So then I can use that in future research or studies or whatever.
1: Right. Have you ever tried to do any like, uh, like go into to sleep or into a, some sort of a state for, while you're already knowingly in a state, like inception levels? A <laughs> I mean? guess kind of <laughs> like, kind of like when you're in this this out of body state. Um, have you ever tried to like meditate or meditate, meditate or or kind of go in further?
0: I I have tried things like meditation uh, within that within that state yeah um i i i'm very naturally good with trance states i go into trance states very easily i think because i've been practicing this kind of thing so long and also i started working with a mentor when i was about 15 years old i i used to sell books at his lectures and things like that and he used to teach astral projection and different esoteric philosophies his name was Douglas Baker Um, So I used to work with him from my early teens uh, and he gave me a lot of ideas in terms of practices and different techniques and things like that. So right from that age, I've pretty much been consistently practicing Zazen, Pranayama, uh, different yogic practices and things like that, as well as more, I guess you could say, shamanic inspired approaches like uh, seething which is kind of like inducing a kind of shaking vibrational kind of experience in your body which can help going to trance different things like that so I've I've worked with lots of things as well as technology and virtual reality immersive technology things like that Um, I've been doing that since the 90s as well.
1: What works best? Like, what's what's or not best? Say, what's the easiest for someone who hasn't uh, spent a lot of time? Like, what if you were just starting today and you knew what you knew now? Where would you start?
0: The easiest is to pay attention to who you are as an individual. What most people do is they hear someone who has a particular technique or whatever that worked for them, and then they try to copy that technique. But the thing is, it's a bit like uh, we're all at different levels. It, if if you went into a to learn music and uh, you maybe you, you've never touched an instrument in your life, and then you tried to play some complicated piece of music, it's not going to work, and you're just going to make a noise. Whereas if you uh, if you go and get training step by step from the beginning, then you, you'll probably get there. But this, but people are at different levels, so you have to take into consideration the levels and what someone is naturally gifted at. One person might be a musician, another person might be an athlete, another person might be more of a painter. You know, you have to look at your kind of skills, and when you apply that into a, a kind of out of body context, techniques. If you're very good at visualisation, then a visualisation technique is probably what you should do. If you're terrible at visualisation, then why would you do a visualisation technique? But a lot of people don't think about this. They just go, oh, I heard this technique works and that technique. There's too much obsession with techniques. There's a much bigger picture going on. It's much more about developing consciousness as a whole, um, looking at your state of development in terms of how well you deal with stress, your depth of relaxation, your all these kinds of factors. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different elements uh, that play a, a part in the bigger picture of inducing these kinds of experiences.
1: Is there any evidence towards uh, people with autism and things like that having, um, you know, almost being sort of how some people are musical savants, like how maybe some of these people with autism, other disorders are spending sort of more time in that that state
0: um i haven't looked in depth into people with autism but um definitely savant uh, children seem to be very uh good at doing psychic experiments and i tend to think that psychic abilities are on a, a continuum and someone who is gifted maybe with telepathy or something like that is probably going to be quite effective with learning to have our body experiences or to do other kinds of uh, psychic abilities as well.
2: So it sounds like that fits into your training is you have to personalize each person's training, I guess, right? To see, cause I know that I'm, I'm not very good at visualizing, <clears throat> but as you were talking about that, I was trying to think about or how I, how I, I would, how I would, yeah, I'm definitely not good at that, but I definitely, how I would f- how i would try and figure out what technique worked best for me and i mean i know music has has an impact on my physical body like uh you know like giving me the shiz- shivers or vibrations and stuff like that so maybe i would have to go down like more of that road than than trying to do visualizations
0: yeah sure um i mean uh i use uh, infraliminal sound which is my sound technology um that's not it's not binaural got anything to do with that kind of stuff but right. it basically it was it was mapped on on the vibrational state the vibrational state is the common state prior to having an out-of-body experience so um basically since about 98 i did research into my own vibrational experiences and state and uh, developed the technology to try and emulate that kind of state and help people get to that uh first stage of the outbody experience so there's you know there's there's ways that you can use sound um there's ways that you can use physicality you know there's different approaches depending uh, i mean my book uh details navigating the outbody experience the second book i wrote details a lot of the techniques and uh, overall approach and how to profile yourself how to look at yourself and work out what category of person you fit into even your sleep patterns for example Mm -hmm. can be helpful indicators of what kind of methodology you should use
2: wow so so if i if i do have this moment where i have all these vibrations come over me like sometimes music does it to me sometimes just nature sometimes exercise is is that can i utilize that vibrational state to try and Go out of body, even if I'm not in some sort of meditative or like a room in the bed.
1: Like, have you ever can, gone out of body? No, I haven't. Never, not no, once. You know, really. Like, no, I don't think so. Wow, that's so sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think you, I think you can utilize it, and I think uh, you mentioned sort of exercise and things like that, and that's actually quite a common way that it can that it can take place. Some form of exhaustion. Um, if you reference shamanic cultures, a lot of them use drumming, dance, things like that to a point of uh, exhaustion and ecstasy. And then they'll go into a, a kind of out-of-body experience as a result of that. And I think that's a clue towards uh, what, what can be utilised in a in a more, uh, you know, maybe less elaborate, less rit- rit- ritualistic type environment. So yeah I definitely think that that could be utilized. You just have to find the right angle and the right mm-hmm. approach and then add in other factors in your day to day life. It could be diet it could be it depends on you like I say you need mm-hmm. to look at yourself, do a profile of what of what you need to look at hmm.
2: so let's talk about the evidence a little bit then <clears throat> you know you're 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 big on the scientific part of it. Um, where are we at in general is a big picture kind of thing like you know can you say for sure that uh, this is a reality and that people are doing it there's enough anecdotal evidence of corroborating you know people seeing something or knowing something that they couldn't have known that's corroborated by other people like where do you stand on on the full evidence I mean we talk about this consciousness stuff all the time on the show and it seems to be seems to be a big sort of overarching theme, kind of like skeptical in a way where, you know, there's all this evidence, but it's just ignored by the scientific community.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, um, it's not ignored by the scientific community. It's, I'd say it's ignored by the the mainstream of yes, right. the scientific
2: community. Right? Yeah, yeah sorry. that's right. That's a good I point. I think
0: the people the people in the field of parapsychology who are actually the people studying this, which is the area I'm moving into more and more. Right. Um, though, those in, in that field, it's not particularly controversial. There's a few skeptics right. within, within that environment, but the majority of people actually doing research within parapsychology are people who say that the evidence is, is strong. Yeah. Um, when it comes to out of body experiences, Unfortunately, a lot of it is anecdotal um, or at least case studies. I do think there's a distinction. I wrote a chapter in a recent collaborative book where I made a distinction between the two because they're often lumped together. Um, and, and actually, I think if you have a contemporary account that's verified by the people who were there at the same time and the details were written down at the time. I think that is a, that's a case study. That's not an anecdote. An anecdote is when it's just repeated by word of mouth and over time. And I think skeptics have kind of been a bit dishonest with creating that image Uh of anything that is, not in a laboratory, is an anecdote. That's a good and, point. I don't think that's true at all. Well, yeah. by that
1: definition, our entire understanding of the solar system is anecdotal. <laughs>
0: sure, yeah. And, and, and the problem is, especially with near-death experiences, there's no way you could test that in a laboratory. So if they, were, if, if they put that definition forward as the only valid one, then that means we can never examine near-death experiences in any meaningful way. Yeah. So I think we have to reject the, the idea that a case study is the same as an anecdote. So that's, that's the first point to put forward. And I, I think, uh, I think within, my, within my work, I have examples of um, what I would call case studies, experiences that were documented at the time they took place and were verified, and you know the witnesses who were there verify what took place. Right. the The most famous one in my case, and the most powerful one, I think, and probably quite a unique experience in the literature would be um, the Soho bombing experience that I had in 1999, um, because it was it was unique in many ways. The outer body experience took place with four other people in the room while the out-of-body experience was happening that's the first point that was quite unique about it the second point was i described everything that i saw immediately after the out-of-body experience to everyone who was there the third point was that it was precognitive um so i described that i believe that there was going to be a bombing in soho on on uh, old compton street um in a in, well, I didn't know when, but I. But then, as it turned out, it happened five days after the actual outer body experience. So that that's that's a a powerful case because all the details were written down two hours within two hours of the outer body experience, and multiple witnesses confirmed what what I saw. So that's uh, I, I think that goes down in. In terms of very difficult to dismiss, in terms of types of experience like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the
1: experience Anthony was telling us about. Yeah, that's that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So it have you had anything? Else. Else, have you had anything else like uh, to that scale that maybe you know you don't have quite as much evidence for?
0: Um, well, I had I had uh, I've had various other verified experiences. Yeah, they're not they're not to that scale. I mean, that's probably a pretty much a a once in a lifetime type experience i would imagine although i did have a precognitive experience of the the 7-7 bombing as well an out-of-body precognitive experience um but unfortunately there was no there were no witnesses to that that particular out-of-body experience but more recently i've had experiences of um, going to locations around Tallinn where I now live and then being able to verify things. One one example um, a few years ago was seeing the, the fir tree being hoisted into position for, for the Christmas uh, market that happens in the main square um, and then being able to go there and uh, my partner backing me up that we could verify that the... Uh, that it was happening at that particular moment, so everything that I saw was was confirmed within minutes of, of the experience. So that that's an example of a more day to day type uh, experience that can be confirmed. So
2: yeah, without without the precog in there, which is probably a little easier mm-hmm. for some people to to swallow as well, right? Like that's the challenge with you know when you oh. talk about an OBE, then well, remote really? viewing, and, so and like then of
0: course. I've always I've always been very happy to work with scientists as well. So I've I've worked I've taken part in Dean Rading's experiments at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I've organised and taken part in experiments with Rupert Sheldrake. I'm currently uh, working with an OBE researcher in Italy. So I, I'm you know I'm constantly working with scientists as well and open to working with. Balanced, genuine scientists who want to look at the subject.
1: What about? Um, are you able to use it for any sort of remote viewing or anything like that?
0: I, I do uh, practice remote viewing as well. Yeah, I'm very interested in in remote viewing, and I've spoken on the correlation between remote viewing and outbody experiences. I, I did a talk at the uh, International uh, Remote Viewing Association conference a couple of years back where I described the, I think they're, again, like I mentioned a bit earlier, I think they're on a continuum. I think something like remote viewing is on a continuum with out-of-body experiences. I think that the deeper you can go into a kind of remote viewing type experience, the closer you can come to a fully immersive out-of-body experience. If we think about it, if you if you could rewire the brain so that all of your senses were experiencing, um, say, through some kind of avatar at another location, then you would essentially experience as if you were, you OBE. you would feel like you were at that other location. And I think remote viewing is you're using those same faculties, but you're just using them with more conscious awareness. It's like there's two levels apparent. Whereas when you take that, when you take those levels completely down in terms of your consciousness, you go, right into the fully immersive experience that's what we then call it now, an out-of-body experience
1: so do you think it is a an actual like out-of-body experience in that case if you're remote viewing something like do you think some party view is traveling there do you think you're channeling that through the consciousness or whoever's you know knows that already
0: um well there has to be something um picking up the information or something at that remote location at, on some level um, so I, I i think that when you look at it like that but but then we get into the whole question of of movement and space and and things like that you know and distance and when you start to think in more quantum terms the idea of uh things being separated by distance starts to even become not quite so convincing so um, if something like an out-of-body experience is happening related to something like quantum mechanics, which various scientists like Brian Josephson, who won the Nobel Prize for physics, so I think he knows what he's talking about, um, he argues that it could be some kind of quantum entanglement effect, a biological use of that effect. Um, then we have things like orcore, um, Roger Penrose and uh, Stuart Hameroff's idea yeah, yeah. so there's various models that allow for some kind of quantum effect to, uh, to allow consciousness or some form of information to travel over distance um, but like I say the more it, it becomes like a can of worms because the more you start to think about uh, distance and separation and things like that the more that all breaks down and the more it becomes kind of meaningless. I think in some ways consciousness itself seems to be much bigger and much more complex and much more expansive than the simple brain, well, not simple, but the brain-based models that we we currently have. So if that is the case, then I think the separation probably between uh, physical reality and mind is probably very, very minimal. And I think that's why we get things like mind-matter interaction. Um, when I was at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and I did the experiment with Dean Radin, the experiment I took part in was trying to affect um, the, the double slit experiment, the famous quantum double slit experiment through an interferometer. Um, in that experiment, you're trying to affect things on a, qu- on a quantum level When I uh, got the results afterwards, um, Dean told me that basically everyone that there'd been 11 people through the experiment, including me, and all of them, including me, had had positive results in the predicted direction. So, so far, 11 people had all seemingly been able to affect a quantum uh, double slit experiment purely using psychic ability. So, you know, when you start to think, like, what are the implications of that, it's, it's quite huge. Um, and on a side note with that as well, when I was doing that particular experiment, I started to have huge uh, vibrational state. Um, it was like I was going to go into an out-of-body experience <laughs> while it was actually happening. And I had to kind of control myself and try to hold it back because I was trying to do this experiment. And then I remember his uh, assistant opening the, you're in a kind of steel room, um, which is uh, electromagnetically shielded uh, to do the experiment. So when he, well, when she opened the door, there was, she said that it was like a sauna in there. There was this intense heat. And also one another man who was sitting opposite, he also felt this intense heat come out of the room. I was Boiling. i was sweating i was it was like it was like a furnace in there but yeah there was no temperature change registered on any of the instruments so again another interesting phenomena that took place related to this kind of thing
2: wow did it did you have to <laughs> it must have crossed your mind to let yourself go i mean would you have not not ruined the experiment Had but had to do it over but it would be interesting to see <laughs> Going OBE while while doing the double split experiment, you know, get a you could uh, go uh, and close, through the, close up view you could to have the went through both to slits the...
1: at the same
0: time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, tr- I tried to contain it in that particular experiment, but we did also do another experiment uh, where I attempted within an out of body experience to affect the double slit. So that oh. that took me that took me over three months to. Um, achieve uh, a stable enough and reliable enough and clear enough out-of-body experience to attempt it um, this is this is another thing with OBEs it's generally talked about as if it's so easy and every experience is exactly the same and all this kind of thing but I think like a lot of things there are peak experiences and more average uh, less interesting, less controllable, less vivid types of experience. So you, you know, you have to aim for that moment when everything is working, like like an athlete. To use that analogy again, that you you, you have to be in the zone. You know, yeah. has, there has to be these moments when everything's right.
3: Yeah, that
0: flow state. That's what, yeah. hmm?
2: That flow state.
0: Yeah, and th- and that's what happened on that particular uh, day. So then I attempted to affect the uh, the double slip. We don't know the results of that yet though. But oh, that okay. that, w- that was when we uh, we tried. Uh, so I'll be interested to know what, what happened if the OBE did affect it in a yeah, way Yeah, that'll be interesting. Wow.
2: So uh, you've you've so you've marked down the time and when that when that OBE happened and then they'll go back and look at the records of the the double slip and yeah, they,
0: slip they, and they need to, Yeah Dean needs to analyze the data. Yeah. Wow, that'll be interesting so is there like
1: a magic hour is there an hour that you tend to drift off more often drift out of body
0: um i wouldn't say an hour i I mean for me it tends to be sort of evening but that's just because i'm again my chronotype is more i'm more of a nighttime person than a than a morning person um so my OBEs tend to happen late evening um not from sleep i should point out i i i'm quite adamant i don't think there's any relationship with lucid dreaming in my case
2: i'm
0: not even really any good at lucid dreaming so it's it seems quite ludicrous to me when people say that it's lucid dreaming it's uh, <laughs> it's because i'm am not, not even asleep when it happens so that's always a bit confusing to me how how i'm dreaming when i'm not even asleep um, But yeah, so it's, uh, for me, it's more akin to something like deep hypnosis or maybe something like a mediumistic trance or maybe a shamanic trance, something like that. That would be how I would describe it.
2: Mm. It reminded me of lucid dreaming, though, when you were talking about how how slippery the experience is and how it's hard to... To keep Maintain. it to keep it there, like it reminds me of what it's like trying to trying to keep lucidity within a dream, and then I was gonna ask you about you know the parallels with different states, like whether it's um a psychedelic state or or near death experience or lucid dreaming like is do you feel like these are all sort of closely related as far as like s- sort of conscious extended consciousness and different levels of it?
0: Um it depends what how, what you mean by closely related. Um
2: Like like am I gonna is there a chance that if I had an OBE would I bump into somebody who's lucid dreaming? You know, that kind of thing. I
0: mean I mean put it this way, if uh is is conscious awareness related closely related to lucid dreaming. Yes. Okay, well if you think that then then the answer would be yes. For me, I think they're quite distinct states. I wouldn't say that they're, they're both states of consciousness. Yeah. But then if we're going to discuss any state of consciousness, then obviously there's an automatic relationship um all states of consciousness um obviously have that core relationship, but to say that they're that, that they're similar um when I, when I did a comparison, and it's on my website for free mm-hmm. if people want to go and have a look, I wrote 17-point comparison with out-of-body experiences and lucid dreams. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the closest you could say is they both involve having your eyes closed. See, for that would be about as far as I'd go with the relationship.
2: See, for me, for me, it's it's a, these. They all have this, the similarity to them all is that your body is not doing anything, and your consciousness has sort of left your body for for lack of a, like you know whatever. In, in, all, those well, states, you're, in all those states, and all those states are sort of conscious forward, and and the and the body is is still.
0: I don't see any distinct distinctive aspect in a lucid dream that suggests um you've left the body you've just highlighted actually a distinctive factor between the two because in an out-of-body experience you often or usually experience floating out of the body or floating away from the body at another location um in a lucid dream that's very rarely the case you usually experience that you're body is is your body you just experience it like you would normally in a a particular environment usually the environment is surreal another distinction between an OBE and a lucid dream Um, there's usually difficulty remembering what happened another distinction between Mm. OBEs and lucid dreams my OBEs are usually more vivid than physical memory you know I can go on you know yeah uh, it's almost every aspect that we highlight about a lucid dream is actually almost the opposite for an out of body experience.
2: Except that that uh, you you can hear these overlapping overlapping things in a lucid dream where where you might have a precog cog event or you might see something in the like. See, I've I've heard those you know those stories of lucid dreams where people can you know see things that are that are in sort of reality and then confirm them later or have those sort of similar precogs. So I, I agree with what you're saying. If, I understand, if there, if understand is, that.
0: Is there a state of awareness you haven't heard that described in?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean...
0: I, I think we have a tendency to put everything together. We want to sort of lump everything yeah, together. Yeah, and, I and I think that's it. actually not very helpful when we're trying to do research because I think often the similarities are superficial similarities, but in actual fact the, the details are are quite prominently distinct. Yeah. And I d I don't think it I don't think it's sort of a negative to lucid dreaming to say they're different, or a negative to OBE to say they're different. Oh, yeah, or, exactly. Or to say there's a difference between dimethyltryptamine and a near-death experience because There clearly are distinctions again but because there's sometimes a tunnel or sometimes a feeling of floating or something then we say oh well it must be dmt in the brain but i remember when i was doing research in the 90s the 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 drug at the time that was focused on related to obe's was ketamine and everyone was talking about ketamine as being um the the relationship with obe's um, but ketamine's not generally believed to be in the brain. So as far as I'm aware, I might be wrong on that. But it's not generally, as far as I know, uh, connected with being in the brain. So there's not as much talk about it now. Whereas DMT, because there's a relationship in the brain, we're like, oh, well, that must be what's going on. But then you go back to people like Terence McKenna, who was talking about henbane and different kinds of... Uh, Um, natural hallucinogens that he believed were used by witches and things like that and they were rubbing balms on their bodies and these kinds of things but a lot of that idea when you look at the actual sort of scientific research and the archaeological research and things like that those kinds of ideas are pretty much discounted now so it's sort of like they're nice ideas. They sort of fit. They feel right, but in many ways, I don't think they they do actually answer the question.
2: Is there any emotional distinction as well, like people having these this this overwhelming sense of love or oneness in an NDE, for example, or maybe a lucid dream? Not so much, but in, like a a DMT trip or or Definitely in, or, or yeah. Is, it, is there well. a big emotional distinction between OBEs there like do you get that emotional pull as well do you do you get some sense of good versus evil or love and God or anything like that
0: I think that is another distinction you could make yeah um i because I, I would say the state of awareness in a, in a dream is often quite groggy um you know even in a lucid dream you might you might have very vivid perceptions but it might also become it might also be quite you know um your your sense of reality and your sense of reason is often diminished or at least uh, that's what i would say in my case it it, see, it seems very reasonable at the time but then when you wake up you think oh that was quite kind of irrational i mean yeah. for example i had a re- i had a lucid dream recently where um a woman was pushing trees over in front of me or <laughs> at me in the dream um and that seemed completely reasonable to me during the dream <laughs> but then when i woke up of course the idea of pushing a, a tree a woman pushing a tree over is quite ridiculous um but that's an example of of how your sort of brain function works and and the classic uh, reality check you look at your hands in a in a um lucid dream they break down because of your brain rendering the image basically it, it can't keep up and so in up to 90% of instances of text as well for example writing text the text will melt or break down or distort change things like that so whereas in an obe um, that's not the case at least in there's also problems i guess we get into because of definition and some people will describe something that to me is clearly a lucid dream and they'll call it an out-of-body experience. So that can actually cause confusion to right, people right. as well. So yeah. so we, we should sort of highlight that as well. But when I talk about an out-of-body experience, I am talking about the type of thing that happens in a near-death experience. And that's the kind of out-of-body experience I have. It's not, it's not um, incoherent. There's no sort of fantastical elements to it really. I mean, there are sometimes afterlife type experiences like in an NDE, but I definitely don't have a lot of this more fantastical stuff that you, that you hear about. It, it just, to me, that just sounds like dreaming.
2: So when, when are we going to start cracking open this, because this, uh, I know you, you know you did mention the difference between the scientific community and, and, the, and the skeptical mainstream scientific community. But is it, is it changing since you've been in this for decades? Are we getting closer to, you know, this this thing shifting, the more experiences that people have? Like we talk a lot about personal experiences on the show, and for me that's one of the things that seems to be changing things is is you, you hear the, the skeptic turning into more of a believer through personal experiences of one thing or another. I mean, are we getting any closer? Like you're sort of on the front lines doing scientific research on this, and you must get a bit frustrated with the – Still being stuck in this materialistic paradigm that we're in.
0: Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I'm very interested in the skeptical community. I, I debate skeptics, and I I'm very happy to discuss things with them. And um, obviously, there are the more hardline, sort of more like fundamentalist types who uh, believe adamantly in a particular ideology. And like you were saying with Skeptico and the people he's interviewed, there's definitely a, a sign on there of, of uh, how unscientific a lot of these people can be. Um, and, I, and I've experienced that directly with debating uh, skeptics who, when you say, well you think the evidence is bad, so what evidence have you actually looked at? Can you give me a single example? They can't do it, you know, and uh, because they basically have never looked. Um, then you get people like Chris French, for example, who's probably the most prominent sceptic in the UK, who I think is actually quite reasonable, and he has look at, looked at the evidence, and I think he's made a completely reasonable choice that he leans towards there isn't much to it. Um, but I think that's completely valid, too. We need to be fair-minded in on both levels. We need to look at what the evidence says. And I, I completely feel that OBE research doesn't have enough for us to say much conclusively at this point. But that's not because the science is bad. That's because we haven't got, we haven't had enough research done. And I think that the problem with the sceptical community, the more negative side of it, is that it limits research. It holds things back because it says, oh, that stuff is all debunked and it's all rubbish and we don't need to look at it. And, you know, so then scientists steer clear of it. It perpetuates this taboo where people think that it's professional suicide if they if they go and research these things. So then you get scientists who are basically in the closet and they believe that these things are real because the evidence says so, but at the same time they won't publicly admit that because they don't want to lose their careers or or be ridiculed, etc. Yeah. So um, I think there is a change, especially in terms of telepathy. I think there's been a move towards that becoming much closer to being accepted. Um, I think of all the psi abilities, that's the one that people are most open to. But it's uh, it's still a long way because until we have some kind of mechanism, I think that's going to be the turning point. That will be the point that science, in terms of the mainstream of science, will start looking at these things. If there if there was some way that we could fit it into the the standard models, one of the mantras you hear from the skeptical community is uh, that basically. Um, you know that the the paradigm is against these kinds of things that there isn't any evidence for it that you know that nothing nothing's going to change their mind because there isn't a mechanism it's impossible you hear that word a lot it's impossible so without this idea of a mechanism and that it's impossible it's very hard to move forward but but the thing is when you talk to scientists who are a bit more open and have looked at the evidence, like Brian Josephson, who I mentioned, yeah. he will say that the the current state of physics doesn't discount the possibility of these things being a reality. It's just a, it's just an opinion that it's impossible. There are avenues or angles uh, that it could that it could fit right, within right. the model. One example of that is hidden sector matter from from string theory. Um, that's another uh, area that I've recently heard that could allow for some kind of uh, energetic structure or or form of consciousness to have a way of being independent of the brain. For example, um, there's there's I think as we go on, there's going to be more and more of these possibilities opening up but i'm not claiming to understand or that any one of them is correct i think that we we just have to keep going with the research
2: so what what would be your stance on that then how would you say so so you agree with some of these guys that there's you know lack of research obviously and a lack of hard evidence but you know that there's a reality there so how do you articulate your stance on that as far as like the the reality and the amount of evidence that there is right now, like there's obviously evidence that something is happening.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think there is good evidence in terms of case studies and in terms of some uh, lab work, like the most recent is is the uh, researcher in Italy who I mentioned, uh, Patricio Trasoldi hard name to pronounce but yeah he's, he's essentially doing some research in Italy and he's shown uh, veridical laboratory-based evidence using hypnosis that confirms out-of-body experiences are objective. So that's an example of someone who's doing exactly what the sceptics say they want to see. Lab work, um, multiple subjects, uh, induced in a controlled manner and getting positive results for outer body experiences.
2: So this just has to happen more and, and just become more mm. of a Yeah. It's it's frustrating because, you know, they're they're willing to talk about you know, you hear more in the mainstream about multiverses and 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 all these other theories like string theory and <clears throat> that's probably a little bit more prominent, but the dark matter and the dark energy and the holographic mm. universe. I mean, you're starting to hear all this stuff, yet they still just don't wanna acknowledge that, you know consciousness may be you know outside the brain
0: well it, it would open the door to um I, I think in their view um the dawkins and people like that of the world uh feel that it would open the door to religion um and i think that's their big fear and and they could be correct about that yeah but, yeah. The, bo- but the bottom line is it doesn't you know it doesn't change what's true you know just because you don't want to to give any you know ground to to the religious community that that's not a valid reason to hold back what actually might be true but but i think a lot of a lot of skeptics are just quite poorly informed i mean dawkins is a good example of that he just takes his information from people like james randy and james randy's been shown to be dishonest um there's a book called uh, the heretics by Will Storr which i highly recommend a really great book and in there he he heard from Rupert Sheldrake who i personally worked with um about James Randi's dishonesty so he actually went and researched it and looked into it and found that what Rupert Sheldrake was saying was true that there was evidence in in the public record that Randy had been dishonest about multiple things. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: That's that's brutal. (laughs) (laughs) I I do want to talk a little bit more about this infraliminal sound because I've uh, tried the binaural beats and the Monroe Institute stuff and it's definitely helped me relax. I mean, it hasn't helped
1: me uh induce any out-of-body so experiences those cool but. instruments are real you know you can feel them like tingling down your spine
2: yeah yeah well that's because that i mean but the Mineral institute has all kinds of different uh hemi-sync music darren but um what about this infraliminal how does that differ and how does that help uh change your state of consciousness
0: well, I, I guess um, in some ways I need to tell the story a bit of my immersive structures and immersive technology, because going back to around 97, I was, uh, I was interested in ways to use structures, technology, sound, visuals, hypnosis, all of these different things to increase someone's chances of having a consistent outbody experience. So I started off um, looking at, in my own research, what uh, what were the things that made a difference? For example, the position that I laid in, did it make a difference? Mm-hmm. I looked at my diaries and uh, considered that. Did, did it make a difference if I was raised high up, like if I was in a hammock or something like that? I tried lots of experiments early on with, platforms and different things like that and i found that when i was off the ground to some degree it did help it did give me more of a feeling of floating like the flotation tanks and things like that yeah, yeah. so i started to think about okay how could i make a, a dry version of that if you like um and i made a structure called epicene which was the first first one i made in uh, 97 98 um and within that I I tried to I tried to find a form of sound that didn't use binaural beats cuz similar to what you'd said that uh, just said I I found that I would become relaxed from listening to different forms of binaural beats but they didn't have any particular effect on me so I was interested obviously sound is a major thing and There's so many forms of sound, there's so many approaches we can take with sound. There's things from hypnosis like subliminals, uh, which was also interesting to me, uh, which is where the liminal part comes from in the name. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was also interested in infrasound, so basically sound on the border of hearing around the 17 to 20 hertz sort of area. So I was also interested in the effects that that could have so by combining those two together which is what i started to do in um in the ni- late 90s i started to find that that would more effectively lead to the vibrational state which is what i needed to kickstart my OBEs essentially and to help other people do that um so over the the period between 97 or so and uh, 2011 which is the sort of when i finished the current version of the infraliminal um i found that um i could get to a point where within about 80 85 90 percent of people um i the the sound would guide them to the vibrational state especially if they tuned into it if they didn't just lay there passively yeah, yeah. and actually tried to work with the sound and yeah. You know connect their consciousness to it essentially so that's that's basically um what i did and then i started working with virtual reality i did a large-scale 10 meter uh interactive installation with a screen and um uh surround sound and things like that at london science museum Um, so that was quite a, a big scale project um that, that included elements of my childhood and elements of how I perceived London in a kind of psychical way. Um, it was actually called The Psychic State of London. So it was almost like reproducing London um, in virtual reality, but through the sort of psychical or out-of-body type perception um, rather than just normal visual perception. So um, I've worked with a lot of things like that to help Tune someone in to a, a different state of consciousness than what they might ordinarily understand. So, um, the infraliminal that I'm currently using is basically uh, the culmination of all of that and a way of a way of, um, a way of uh, just sort of attuning to that process. And it works on twenty minute cycles as well, which I also found in my research that hypnosis states uh, trance states of hypnosis tend to work on a 20-minute cycle and also um when we go into other forms of trance they tend to go on a roughly 20-minute cycle as well so i built the structure of the sound on a 20-minute cycle as well so there's uh-huh. there's lots of aspects to the research basically but so as you as i hope you heard there it, it, it's come from a completely different angle to
2: any of the other kind of approaches with sound. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try it. Actually, actually, I wanted to try it before we had you on, but I just didn't, oh, have, the, I just didn't have the time. But I'm definitely going to buy it from your website and, and give it a shot. I just, I find all the, the music, the, the the thing that resonates with me. Pardon the pun, but it really is like sound and music. So. Um sure. like oh, we, were out, we were out we were out with a bunch of people and we had the didgeridoos and a bunch of ancient instruments and I mean the vi- the vibrations I get from that, like it just sends like shivers all up and down my body and like everything starts to vibrate. It's uh, it's very, very powerful. So that's that's I think probably my key that I should start playing with a little bit more.
0: So Sounds like
2: so, it. So on that yeah, so on that, that journey f- from sound, did you did you ever come across um the difference between like you know the 432 hertz and the 440 hertz and sort of more this whole this whole frequency that we don't seem to get uh, properly with the music that we have and stuff now like did you ever think about you know there's a guy that makes like whole tones and stuff like that where it's well, kind of
0: i i guess i guess that's a bit different because i wasn't looking at music as such i was looking at um frequencies that could have some kind of physiological effect. Right. So I was I was trying to find a way that for example, we did a lot of looking at my EEG and looking at um if I if we did a particular sound wave or a particular frequency. Um would that have some kind of effect on on brain waves and on on like an ordinary person who doesn't have these kinds of experiences? What would happen if we did a particular wave of sound uh, and then monitored that person's uh, brain state um, using? We also use neurofeedback and things like that, um, like a computer. Uh, visual display of, of what's going on mm-hmm. in the person's brain that kind of thing obviously not as advanced as fmri or anything like that but it, it was enough to fine-tune the system to get consistent results with that but it it's uh it's it's not I, I wouldn't call it music and there isn't there isn't any uh vocals either there's no speaking on the on the tracks because that was something that I've, I've found distracting in some forms of sound technology and yeah, things.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Then you have to start picking what kind of music and, and, and uh, narration that you like. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So what, what about devices like light, uh, deep state light uh, devices like Anthony Peake was on? I remember him talking about years ago about Lucia. And, he you know, we talked a bit about that before. Is that something you've ever tried? And is that helpful for people?
0: I, I've worked with Lucia. Um, my opinion on those devices is, is um, that, that they're a purely optical effect and that they're not very useful for, for these kinds of things. Um, your um, uh, Flicker-induced phosphenes is the technical term for what you're seeing, um, and it is... It's nothing to do with an altered state. It looks very impressive to you if you've never experienced anything like that. You've got your eyes closed and you see lots of pretty, multicolored patterns, and it looks um, it looks very much like a kaleidoscope or something like that. Um, but I mean, I spent several days uh, working with one. Uh, with a colleague we went into quite a lot of depth with it different patterns Mm -hmm. and the only way we could really get anything of any use with it was to tune the lucia right down so that the effect was very very um subtle yeah yeah, yeah very subtle so that then you could still have your own mental processes coming through um the problem uh, with it is because it's an optical effect, and it has nothing to do with anything to do with trance or anything psychical. Um, it just bombards you with with these coloured patterns, and obviously, then you're you're you can't really focus or do anything much while that's happening. Um, it, it's. it's to me, it, it's a bit like save your money and just you know buy a strobe light. You know, you'll you'll have basically the same effect if you put a strobe light on on a low setting so that the light isn't too oppressive, and you just let it kind of help you go into a trance. Because any essential, any rhythmic uh, light or sound can help you get to a trance state. So right. yeah, I yeah, th- yeah. The, yeah, I think that's all you really need to know because. and and I've never seen any real evidence that um, flicker-induced phosphenes cause anything to do with out-of-body experiences or anything to do with um, altered states, really. I mean, the the thing is, with anything like that, like I said, if you did sit in front of a a flickering bulb for long enough, a certain amount of people are going to have unusual, strange experiences just because they're looking at something strobing for, for a period of time. But... You know i think t- to say that that device literally in or any of those devices literally induce something i think would be an exaggeration and i i, I think all the claims about chakras and things like that is is just silly really
2: what, what about uh electro stimulation at all like i hear about these skeptics they're talking about uh hallucinations recently like oh you know we figured out that uh of how to induce these hallucinations, and then of course they think that everything is a hallucination afterwards, and everything can be induced. So if it can be induced, it's not uh, real, you know. So is there any any um, <clears throat> anything legit to that, or is that going to be where we go in the future of this type of research? Like, where do you see the research going for this?
0: Well, I, I think um, the the whole the whole thing about. The, the the transcranial stimulation, Michael Persinger, the Canadian researcher who who looks at um that kind of stuff. He's got the the, the helmet. helmet. Yeah, yeah they, they the nickname is the God helmet. It's tech its real name is the coron helmet. But but basically there are different viewpoints on it, um which which is kind of interesting because there has been arguments. I've I've especially heard from different psychiatrists and people in, in the UK who've argued that the, the magnetic field is too low to cause these kinds of effects and it could just be a placebo, which goes back <laughs> a bit to what I was just saying about the light. You know, there's a placebo effect. If someone puts a light in your face and says that you're going to have a mystical experience, then by placebo and by chance, a certain amount of people will. And, I, and that's been the argument a bit might be the case with the, with the God Helmet. I, I don't I don't know I mean I I do I do have one um, but we haven't <laughs> managed to really get it working or, or doing very much um, so I, I'm still I'm neutral about a lot of things you know I think it's good to say that we don't know you yeah, know yeah yeah to, totally to be um, but so I don't know whether there is a real effect or or not with Michael Persinger's um helmet i tend to lean towards there probably is and i think a lot of the skeptics would agree with that where i differ with the skeptics is it's a logical fallacy to argue that because you can reproduce something as a hallucination it means that that thing is therefore a hallucination right but to, to make to put that into simpler terms if you take if i put a magnetic field across your brain and you hallucinate your grandmother does that then follow that your grandmother doesn't actually exist? You know, um, it's, it's that kind of logic. It's, it's like (laughs) you can, you can stimulate the brain. So someone sees a car going past the window, but you wouldn't conclude that that means cars don't exist. It's, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a logical argument. So it, it doesn't hold up in that kind of sense. So, um, I deal with that in the chapter in, in my book actually as well. In in navigating the out body experience, there's a whole chapter on skeptics and skeptical arguments and nice.
2: where they fall down and that kind of thing. Nice. Um Huh. huh. Where's the um, where's the future of research then? Oh.
0: I I think well to 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 finish off on, on Michael Persinger and yeah, what yeah, he's sure. doing. Yeah. I, I think I think uh he's really onto something because what Persinger is trying to do is he's trying to enhance psychic abilities using these kinds of technologies. So Persinger is not a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Persinger does not agree that his God helmet disproves <laughs> psychic abilities. Quite the opposite. He thinks that it's a facilitator, that it's an access route to psychic abilities. So um, he's got a particular configuration of the God Helmet, which he calls the octopus configuration. Um, and in that configuration, we, what I mean by configuration is basically that the the solenoids, the the electro, the uh, magnetic, um, yeah, the ele- mag- electromagnetic uh, pulses are positioned at different places over the brain to the standard configuration. So in the standard configuration, the idea is just to cause some kind of hallucination in the, uh, in the octopus configuration. The idea is to enhance the psychic ability and also to um, create a kind of rapport in a psychic sense with another person by the two people having the same magnetic patterns over their brains so if they have the same magnetic pattern, the idea is hopefully they will experience the same thing, mm-hmm. i.e. telepathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got good results with that. And he's demonstrated that you can, to some degree, enhance the the uh, abilities of uh, of an average person. Because most scientific research into these kinds of subjects gets done with undergraduate students who are basically just there and they volunteer and... So they're of a particular demographic, usually, um, and that demographic is not particularly psychic naturally, usually. Um, so, using these kinds of methods, he's shown an increase in their ability.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. And what about other other types? Like, have you thought of any new research avenues, or what? What are you guys working on these days to to help the case?
0: Well, I'm trying to move forward with with the immersive technology. I want to take that to the next uh, stage. So,
2: as in VR? Well,
0: uh, well, kind of all of it combined. Um, right, right. There's no There's no reason really to separate it all out, is there? We don't need to put We don't need to kind of put all the eggs in one basket, as it were. Mm. I think the thing is, in order to really enhance the possibilities with out-of-body experiences and with inducing them with someone who maybe hasn't got that natural ability is to use something that will affect the body, use something that will affect uh, the the brain state, use something that will um, impact their visual field. Like, you know, uh, it could be something just suggestive of an out-of-body experience. So it will have like a hypnotic effect you know, like for example, aerial footage of clouds or something like that. Yeah. Um, that in itself can trigger a sort of unconscious response that you want to have that experience, or you, or you, or you, or it gives the message that your intention is to have that experience. So things like that can have a big effect, especially if they're combined with multiple other things. My approach is to use small incremental improvements. By the position of the body, the type of sound, the type of color, the type of you know atmosphere, humidity, for example, seems to have a positive effect as well. Things like this. When you bring all of this together, you've got say five percent increase there, five percent there, five percent, and before you know it, you've got sort of a, a large, um, important, statistically significant increase in the amount of out body experiences someone's having. So. I want to create the sort of ultimate system for giving people the best possible opportunity to have the experiences. That's what I've basically been working on since I was a teenager, really, because that's when I really started teaching people, because already when I was in my teens, people were asking me, how do you do these things? How is it possible? And I, I started sharing things and then started working with the technology then started developing my own ways, which I I teach one-on-one as well, sort of coaching methods, and then courses. I've also got the Navigator course, which is a a course that people can do that's over five weeks or eight weeks. Actually, the eight-week one has Anthony Peake um, talking more about the theory, so we balance it with theory and practice, Um, so things like that. So I'm just trying to create the, the most effective avenues for people and and at the same time really put myself out there and be willing to do the science and take part in the experiments and you know that kind of thing because unfortunately there doesn't seem to be many people who have these kinds of experiences who are willing to get into a lab and do uh sci experiments
2: yeah well yeah i mean then you're kind of putting yourself out there As well, right? For, you know, for a conflict and ridicule and everything. So, so what about, what about, can you describe to people like, just I think what's sort of missing here is, is um, not missing, but what I'd like to know too is, is more of like the feeling of like, what does it feel like to leave your body? And like, what is some of the, the things you've seen or just some more about your personal experience and Trying to give somebody a picture of
1: what it, what it's like. Like I don't know if emotionally, physically, like what's so funny, it, dude? It's, uh, it's you, it's not somebody, it's you. <laughs> you wanna know what it's like.
2: I do wanna know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um
0: Well, I, I think I think what I I remember what I said I said to a friend of mine years ago that um if there was anything in my life, if I had to give up everything except one thing. In my life, it would, the thing that I would keep would be the out-of-body experiences because I think in many cases they've been the most mind-expanding, mm. the most profoundly beautiful, the most um, transformative in terms of my opinions about life and death. Um, I had a very powerful shared death experience, for example. So people who are interested in afterlife experiences and things like that um, this was very powerful because it also had some verification mm-hmm. to it. So in this experience, I came out of body. I found, and, and the process of going out of body sometimes is very much like lifting out, and you you feel like you are a form, and you feel like this sense of total release as you're kind of, you know, as you, it's almost like you're shedding the body rather than floating out of it. It's almost mm-hmm. like suddenly you just feel more energized more alive you know more invigorated you just feel really really powerful and amazing and um and then in this this particular experience i i found myself i seemed to kind of phase from one point to another and i found myself in this um misty sort of cloudy type environment um and around 150 200 meters from me Um, it's very hard to put an estimate because it's you know there was nothing no distinctive features it was all just cloud and mist but there was about 140 people all gathered in a group looking confused Um, some of them were there was kind of like flashes of memories it was like I was seeing it was like they were having the life review that you hear about in near-death experiences but it was like I was able to watch glimpses of it not really the whole thing but I was seeing snippets like faces I've got a very vivid image of this man's face very leathery kind of um, dark tanned face like he worked outside and you know that he was uh, he almost looked Mediterranean or something like that I have a very vivid image of him Um, but that was a memory that was someone's memory it was like this flash of this person uh, that came from this man and this man who was having the memories seemed to be sort of struggling but I remember that over in the distance there were other people and a woman I think I think it was a woman it's hard to say Um, her memory seemed to go through very quickly and she seemed to pass through into the cloud and sort of disappear so it seemed like there were different levels and different stages of this process that these people were going through wow. and it seemed very much like the descriptions you hear in near-death experiences yeah. and i couldn't get any closer i was like at a distance <laughs> and i was fascinated by what was going on and i really wanted to get sort of closer to them but then at the same time i had this feeling that maybe that wasn't the right thing to do because mm-hmm. you know these people were having this very personal important experience
2: you don't want to and ruin I mean, them you don't want to get them stuck in limbo or something like that you should jump up. Sure,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so i i i kind of uh i kept my distance i stayed at that same sort of 150 meters or so from them and then eventually i just sort of i guess i drifted back into the into the mist or whatever and i found myself back in my physical body and then I don't remember what the, t- the time span was, but at some point, either later that day or the next day, I walked into the living room. I was living with my uh, uh, father and mother at the time. I was in my teens um, and I saw uh, on the television that there'd been this crash in uh in in Norway actually on an island called uh, Svalbard I'm not sure how you pronounce it so sorry to any Norwegians watching um but listening sorry um but yeah basically it, it was on this island where the seed bank is if you've heard of that yeah, where they have yeah. all the seeds from all over the world so it was on this island um and basically everyone had been killed and it was 141 people on the on the plane um and it, it seemed to match completely with what I'd experienced in that, in that OBE. It was like I'd shared their transition, the wow. first stage of the, of the afterlife, if you like. And I later discovered that Raymond Moody has written about this. Um, Raymond Moody, who wrote the famous Life After Life mm-hmm. classic book on near-death experiences, he's also written about shared-death experiences, mm-hmm. and millions of people – share the deaf experience of their relatives or they or strangers they see them drift off into you know portals and all kinds of things so it seems that it's actually a, an experience that people do have and I'm sure some of the listeners will have had things like that as well but um yeah so that was an experience that was deeply profound, just for what took place for me personally and the emotion that I experienced, but also because it, I could verify it to some degree. It seemed to have some objective relationship to our reality at the same time. Yeah.
2: Did you ever think about looking up the leathery-faced guy that uh, that you saw on the manifest or anything? Like, would you recognize him? Well, today? I'm
0: not. I'm not. I'm not sure how I, how I would be able to find him. Cause like I say, that was, that was one of the memories.
2: Oh, that was a way, yeah. That was a ways ago too. It, it
0: wasn't, it wasn't actually one of the people who died. So, um, I I'm not sure oh, how right. I can yeah, track yeah. that now.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: That's interesting. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing
2: that.
0: Yeah. That's
1: crazy. I wonder, so it's almost like you got to visit like purgatory or you were like honed into I wonder do you think that that's like only a certain vibration of people then like the group of people you were able to observe in that cloudy place do you think like there's other versions of that and everyone's kind of you know you know I maybe mean, well, there's only so it, many different OBE stations you can go to it kind of depends it, on where it, you're at or what you're feeling it's like
0: one of, I think it's one of those questions that's impossible to answer really and I, I try to keep away from the temptation to create another, <laughs> another ideology, another uh, map of what's going on, um, because I think that the problem with that is there's so many different opinions and so many different um, versions,
2: perceptions too. Yeah,
0: yeah, of of what of what's what the afterlife is going to be like. But what we can say. I mean the, the the approach I like to take is so what are the what are the consistent things what are people describing over and over again in near death experiences and out of body experiences and that misty type environment is one that is described quite consistently another one that I've also experienced um would be what I what a lot of people call the summerland which uh a lot of the near-death experiences I, I've experiences I've talked to describe something akin to this, which is basically a kind of meadow-like environment. It's um, transfused with golden light. It's full of um, beautiful nature. You know, that kind of environment goes right back to people like Emanuel Swedenborg mm-hmm. in in the sixteen hundreds there's consistent near-death experience accounts of it. There's descriptions of it in kind of spiritualist traditions in pagan traditions. And uh, so that seems to exist in direct experience and in, in the sort of ideologies of different traditions and cultures. So again, I think there are some environments that we can say seem to be consistent. Um, and I, I think, uh, I think that is the approach we have to take because we can't know ultimately what goes on on these these other levels. The only access we have is these glimpses from out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences. And and people like Swedenborg, who he was basically an out-of-body experiencer of his day. They didn't have that term in those days. So he used to say, I traveled to heaven um, because that was the... The only language that they had for it, really. But if he was around now, people would say
2: he's an out-of-body explorer or or whatever. Obductive. So, um, <laughs> huh. go on. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. <sighs> yeah, I, I agree with you. It's just I, I think it's healthy to say you don't know and uh, not try and come up with uh, the answers all the time. Or right? yeah, we talk about that here quite a bit as well. Just I. <sighs> Yeah, I feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think the thing is 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 to look at it like like you're you're experiencing it for the first time. I like to think about the Shoshen idea from the Buddhist idea of you 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 have a beginner's mind. You take everything on on you know on the, on the information itself rather than on maybe your bias and your ideologies and things like that. Yeah, I uh, guess I do a lot of work on myself to try and get beyond my biases, you know, because it's always we have this these natural biases to kind of put things into boxes or to label say it, yeah,
2: like this. Labeling it, yeah.
0: And and say oh but you know I, I kind of like the zen concept so maybe I should you know, maybe that's the one that's right, or the or, or maybe it's the Tibetan Buddhists, or maybe it's the Egyptians, or you know, we have a tendency that the one that we kinda like, we tend to sort of put it all into the into that category. And I did that for many years. I I, I mean, early on, I mentioned I worked with the esoteric teacher when I was in my early teens, and He was working through the writings of people like Alice Bailey, um, Leadbeater, Blavatsky, the Theosophical Society, all of these kinds of things. Um, And, you know, and he was very inspired by all of that. And he used to talk in that kind of framework. And for a while, I kind of took it on until I started to realize that a lot of the beliefs they were saying didn't actually fit with the experiences I was having. The same with some of the more kind of occult ideas and Kabbalah and things like that. Again, some of them are really nice ideas, the the different planes of the sapphire, off and, you know, different frequencies of, uh, you know, vibrations, gemutria, numerology type yeah. ideas, things like this. It all sounds great. But then we, again, you find that it doesn't match with the experiences that the people are having. Just recently, um, I organized some lectures for Erlander Haraldsson, who's probably one of the top living experts on reincarnation. And I organized a couple of events for him in in Estonia. And at his talk, um, there was a man in the audience who, who asked about the Dalai Lama. And he said, well, the Dalai Lama says that reincarnation happens in so so." many days, I forget how many days he said, but he, he said in a certain amount of days. And and Erlander, said to, said, yeah, Erlander said to him, well, you know, that's, that's nice, but in the research, that's not the case. That's not what we find. We find quite significantly longer periods, um, up to nine years um, difference between the date of the person dying and the, the reincarnation experience of the child. Wow. Um, so, again, when you look at the data, and then there was another person who asked about aliens. Are there cases of uh, people who have memories on other planets? And erlander said, in the hundreds of cases he's looked at, he's never found one. So, you know, th- this is. This is the thing, I mean, you, when, when you actually start to kind of go down into the data and, um, and be more objective and let go of your pre, preconceptions and um, try to be as sort of honest as you can be with these things, you find that in actual fact, a lot of the belief systems don't hold up.
2: Yeah. Has, has synchronicity played a part in, in your life over the last couple decades at all?
0: Um. Yeah, you could, you could, you could use that term, I guess. I, I've had, um, I've had definitely a sense of sort of guidance and things like that sometimes, and things just playing out in a really, a really interesting way. My intuition being being really on on the on point, mm-hmm. if you like. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would say that for sure. And actually, within the outer body experiences, like the island I mentioned with the shared shared death experience, that island in Norway. Yeah. Um, I had an experience more recently, just a, a couple of years ago, where I went, I got drawn back to that island in the OBE. I didn't intend to go there, mm-hmm. but I was drawn back there. So it's kind of like I have these things that sort of guide me places, and it's almost like I had that. With, with with coming to Northern Europe because uh, Estonia for example I went to I went to Finland I got drawn to go to Finland um, and so I went there and then got the ferry across Estonia and Finland are only um, 50 kilometers from each other um, and Estonia is a Finnic culture so a lot of people don't realize that but Estonian language is, very closely related to finnish it's it's not slavic or russian or related to anything like that it's 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 nordic it has a relationship to to finnic the finnic language uh, finnish language and it's uh, and their culture as well is very much more they have a singing system called Regilao, which is which translated means rune song so again it relates to a more sort of nordic culture um, and I was just very much drawn to this part of the world and now I've ended up, I've been living here for, for seven years. So, you know, th- uh, I think there is a certain synchronicity and guidance that these experiences bring through. And I think maybe that's where the more subjective, the more spiritual aspect of these experiences comes to the fore and that's where it can have really, really profound effects on your life and create these kind of um transformations in your personality and and your your feelings about the world and things like
2: that yeah yeah and some people might say it's just you're you're finding your path or you're opening up there's all different ways to describe it again we try to (laughs) i try to label everything but uh yeah that's that's well said well thanks so much for for coming on the show is there anything else you want to say before we let you let you go and i'm going to link to your website and your books and your infraliminal and everything in the show notes as well
0: okay great well yeah just just uh link to the courses and things like that and yeah i think i think we've covered pretty much everything um uh yeah
2: yeah thanks for coming out are you coming to north america at all and to do any of the lectures or anything like that
0: um i do plan to i'm i'm actually around now trying to work out uh my schedule for next year so i I try to sort of get over there every couple of years or so so i i think uh i'm probably about right for for coming over again so yeah
1: nice north american tour well if you pass through calgary you'll have to look us up
2: yeah well give us a shout anyways and we'll we'll just we'll tell people where you're going and stuff like that we'll talk about it on the show a bit okay great by then i'll be chatting about my infraliminal experiences Mm -hmm. so Still, but it still <laughs> won't have gone out of body. <laughs> I might. Right on. Well, thanks a lot, Graham. Really appreciate it. Thanks for staying up late for us in uh, Estonia there.
0: You're welcome. All and right. uh, yeah, take care. Thanks a lot for having me on. Okay, keep Bye bye.
1: Bye. And that was our chat with Graham Nichols. Big thanks to Graham for staying up uh, basically all night for the interview. Yeah. That was uh, that was a fun one. Yeah, it's good. Thanks, it's to Anthony Peak, for hooking us up.
2: Yeah. Well, he just
1: suggested it. And you did the work. I did the work. Okay. Well, well, well done. <laughs> Thanks. So. Yeah. How does it feel, make you feel that they that feel that, that Graham's had a thousand out of bodies? Well why do you
2: think that I one? keep trying to have an out of body I'm just trying. I've been trying to lucid dream and maybe like hope for an out of body, but I haven't seriously been trying it. You make it sound like I've been trying for my whole life. Well, I mean I kinda of, I would have liked to, but I mean <laughs> that's about it. Jeez. Uh,
1: What do you think? Are you scared
2: to do it? Why don't you try?
1: If it happens, it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I, you know, I have those experiences sometimes. What experiences? Out of body. Come on. Really? Yeah. I'm stoned on a bunch of mushrooms or something. That, that counts. Doesn't it? No. You can close your eyes on some mushrooms. You You could be wherever you want. Not wherever you are. I want. don't think that's true out of body like he's talking about. I think it can be close. I don't know. I, I, you know, I can remember some times like when I was younger and I was like being hiding out by myself or something on mushrooms and I think that's when it's more, yeah. you know, not when you're out with friends or anything like that, but if you're like stuck in a dark room by yourself because you ate too much, you can't <laughs> deal with what's going on. I, I used to have this feeling when I'd be sitting in the
2: chair, really comfortable, and the fat, uh, you know, like the... leaning forward slightly, and I felt like my body was leaning forward farther than my, or my energy was leaning forward farther than my body. Like I almost felt like if I, like I just felt like I was kind
1: of <laughs> coming out a little bit. I should have played around with that a little bit more. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, you always get that sense that you're just walking around in a suit. You know, I get that all the time. <laughs> that I'm just wearing right. a suit around, so I mean, that's got to be.
2: Has that been recently? The Since you've been of, doing the podcast? Boundary or? Of, no. You've always had that sense.
1: When I on mushrooms. Oh, Not oh. just always. Oh, I'm, I'm talking. Oh, I was just talking. If about I always that. had that sense, I would think that I was losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I think. Yeah. You're not supposed to always right. have that sense. Anyway, thanks to Graham again for coming on the show. I like the idea of the uh
2: immersion, like putting yourself in uh in like maybe virtual reality environment where there's clouds and you're floating, like you feel like you're floating in a virtual environment and you've got maybe
3: Graham's floating away
2: from his mic. <laughs> something going on with your you know, your brain or your brain waves and sound and uh,
1: like it. Maybe we should just like bring a barbecue in here, fire it up. <laughs> just wait till we get super groggy. We just need James here to be like the safety guy to what open the barbecue. What does the barbecue barb- have to do? They it. don't get it. Because you light a barbecue in a tight space, it burns up all the oxygen.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> barbecue in the igloo.
1: Well, how did they barbecue an igloos? They must have had a hole in the top. Yeah, you always yeah. need a hole in the top. And you need another hole to bring oxygen back in. Which is the door, the ig- the yeah. famous igloo door? Yeah. Hmm. I
2: don't where, where was it we were talking? Oh, it's we were talking about the float tank and how you could lose,
1: yeah, could eat up all the oxygen yeah. out of there. Yeah. So if you put a barbecue in the float tank, it would probably eat up all the oxygen in about ten, ten minutes. Yeah. Anyway, check out grandamerica.ca/support for all the different uh, options on how you can help us stay i almost hit the power button on that Ooh. thing with my toe <laughs> i wonder what happens then don't even try um yeah big thanks to graham for coming on the show check out gramerica.ca slash support all the different ways you can help us uh, have these long uninterrupted chats value for value um keep a sponsor ad affiliate bullshit free spam gram uh sign up for the newsletter do all that other shit in the show notes thanks for listening guys thank you see you next week